Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitmire. We're talking with journalists from around the state today about the top news stories of 2021 and looking ahead to 2022 and what uh, what they see, what they think will be some of the top stories of that year. We have three guests with us today. Jill Bond is the news director of the Herald Times here in Bloomington. Max Jones is editor of the Terre Haute Tribune Star. And Tim Evans is an investigative reporter at the Indianapolis Star. If you have questions or comments, you can send them to us at news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We had hoped to be back in the studio today, but uh, Omicron had other ideas. So we're still doing this show remotely, which means that you can't call in. But we hope that you'll send us your questions and your comments. So uh, thank you all for being here with us. Uh, Max Jones has been a frequent guest. Tim Evans has been on once. And I want to welcome Jill Bond to the program today. Jill is uh, with the Herald Times. And Jill, I want to start with you. I mean, how would you characterize uh, 2021 for Bloomington and the other communities that uh, that you cover. Yeah, I think you'll need to unmute. Thank you, Bob. And um, I'm delighted to be here for my first appearance. Um, to sum up 2021 for Bloomington and the surrounding areas, I guess I'd say it was eventful. Um, Bloomington is not immune to national trends. And we have um, had issues with our labor market and with the housing market that are very similar to what we saw the nation. And of course, the entire world uh, grappled with a second year of the coronavirus uh, affecting how we do things and interact with people. But on a local level, you know, we also had some really um, important issues being discussed um, between the city councils um, efforts to increase police pay and the conversations about plexes, the Hamilton administration's um, continuation of its annexation efforts. So I uh, look forward to sharing more about those a little bit later. All right. Max Jones, how about in Terre Haute? Well, thanks again for, uh, for having me uh, aboard, Bob. I always appreciate being here to talk about Terre Haute and our surrounding area. And, um, you know, every, everything that I look at, almost every topic that we look at here anymore is tainted by, uh, by the effect of uh, the pandemic. And um, while almost everything that I look at topic-wise here uh, uh, in our area uh, certainly has that cloud over it, there have been other things going on here that have moved ahead uh, that are somewhat remarkable about about this community. We, we have a convention center, a downtown convention center that is uh, proving to be a, a very transformational project uh, for downtown Terre Haute. It's really changed the appearance. It's changing the traffic flow. And once the uh, convention center opens in the spring of this year, uh, we will start to see what sort of direct impact uh, the, um, the the conventions and other events that they have at this location uh, start to affect the community. We, we sense that there will be some significant impact, and we're anxious to see exactly how how that turns out, and if indeed it turns out to be as transformational uh, for this community uh, as we expect it to be. 
And while at the same time, we have this ongoing saga about um, a casino license for this community, uh, it's had its ups and downs. Uh, right now, it, I, I guess you could say it's on an upswing because the uh, Gaming Commission has uh, uh, moved forward on, uh, on awarding a license uh, to Churchill Downs, the casino wing of, of the Churchill Downs Corporation. So uh, we're, we're starting to see some movement in that respect. And while that, um, that facility more than likely will not be downtown, it will be on the outskirts of the community and could still have some significant impact on, on tourism and tourism dollars and uh, looking at the service community that, that will be particularly affected by, uh, by casino dollars. No one, I don't believe here, thinks that uh, a casino is going to save Terre Haute. It's never saved any community uh, they've come into, but it does have an impact, and and we believe it will have an impact. And and if everyone is realistic about it, I think they'll be able to uh, get a good measure uh, on this. Um, so those are the things outside of the COVID topic, uh, but certainly everything else, you know, our public health, our education. Um, are all are all uh, very much uh, under this heavy cloud right now, continues to be. All right. Thanks, Max. We'll get back to some of those topics, but I want to go to Tim Evans next from the Indianapolis Star. Tim, how will uh, 2021 be remembered for Indianapolis? I think um, in some ways I've been doing this for 45 years and it's I've been a crazy a year as I can recall in, in my time, uh, uh, both uh, nationally and locally, again, most of that's spinning out of uh, the pandemic, and then also the uh, the uh, political divide in the country that spills into Indiana. Um, but again, I think, uh, like the other guests said, there have been some positive things in, in Indianapolis itself. Has uh, you know struggled with uh, homicide rate and some other issues, uh, uh, homelessness. Uh, housing issues, but we're making some progress in other areas mass transit, uh, economic development continues. So it's been kind of a mixed year, but again, the, the, the big news is really spun out of the pandemic and, and politics. Uh, and it's uh, not exclusive to Indiana. Tim, I want to ask you, you, you do a lot of reporting and you do some of the bigger stories. A lot of people who um, Tim's last time on the show, we talked about, uh, USA Gymnastics. He was involved in um, that major project. And Tim, you had a couple of big projects this year. Uh, can you describe one of those? Yeah, um, we had two two really big ones. Um, one of them spun out of a one of our big news events was which was the FedEx shooting back in April, where eight people were killed at the uh, FedEx uh, facility. And um, the the guy who was responsible for those killings. Had um had his guns taken away from him previously by law enforcement under Indiana's red flag law, and my colleagues uh, Tony Cook and uh, Johnny um um I'm sorry um Johnny Magliano um looked at at Indiana's red flag law and how it's worked. And they found, you know, that this wasn't the only gap where someone who should have had their guns removed under that law, um, were, was able to, were able to get guns and harm other people. And they found at least 14 deaths and other people injured with gunshot injuries, um, who should have been prohibited from having guns, but because of a number of breakdowns in that system, uh, were unable, were able to get guns and then commit crimes. So, now that that's one of the projects we worked on uh, for most of the year. Um, the other one that I worked on with Ryan Martin was involved uh, jail overcrowding and the number of death, deaths in county jails across the state. Um, we went back to 2010 and tried to identify every death in the state in a, in a county jail and found there's one on average every two weeks over that time period. And, you know, nearly half of them are suicides and others are, uh, related to drugs and alcohol and the lack of services in county jails. Okay. Yeah. Great work on both of those. Um, I want to, want to ask, uh, well, Sarah Whitmire is joining us now, Sarah. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you all for being here with us today. Bob, you edit our city limits project, which is our coverage of Bloomington Monroe County and Hopefully I'm not putting you on the spot too much, um, but I was hoping you could actually talk about some of the big stories that your team was covering as part of that project. I know, um, for example, you ha- you did a lot with annexation and the parking garage and those kind of things. Maybe you can expand on that. 
Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of the host here today, Sarah, but I'll certainly be. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, I think annexation was definitely a story. Joe Wren did a lot with annexation. I know uh, Jill Staff did a lot with annexation <clears throat> as well. I know Boris did quite a few stories with that. I mean, annexation is not a very popular topic with people who are outside uh, the city and perhaps outside the Hamilton administration. So um, that was a big story. We did stories on the neighborhood where the um, old hospital site is. We did more about that than about the new hospital site. Joe Joe will, I'm sure, be able to talk about the the hospital and uh, that as well. We did some stories about this, one of the stories that she mentioned before about the plexus. That was a, a huge issue earlier this year. And of course, we did a lot of stories on on COVID and its impacts on the community. So th- those are some of the topics that come to mind um, for Bloomington. And, and I think I want to segue to to Jill about you know, the new hospital and the old hospital, uh, that is a story that was big for uh, 2021. The old hospital will probably be the bigger story in 2022. What do you expect to see there? Well, Boris uh, just completed some stories last month kind of explaining what the process is going to be for redevelopment of that site. And, you know, we're not really going to see a ton of new things there for some time. Um, They're still in the process of kind of negotiating how much of the hospital gets torn down. And that will happen probably first. That's probably going to be one of the first things that really starts to transform um, that neighborhood next to the old gardens. But, you know, uh, we think that there's going to be a lot of change, um, both over the next decade as that area gets redeveloped, but also because the new hospital has relocated over to the east, the northeast side of town, this is, you know, maybe the area around that might be underdeveloped, but we know that there are some um, ambitious folks who've snapped up some property around there in the hopes that um, it will become desirable for new medical offices and some complementary types of developments. So we will see, you know, what 2022 brings in terms of new development that is spurred by the hospital's new location. It's interesting that we're, you know, we're talking about the physical structure. You know, the hospital had planned to move in 2021 and it did complete the move. Um, I want to ask Max about the impact of COVID on the hospitals in Terre Haute, because, you know, aside from you know the physical structure, which became, has, has been a big story in Bloomington, of course, healthcare workers have been on the front lines. And, you know, I, I Jill can talk about this as well. So can Tim, but Max, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the plight of medical workers um, in your region. Well, Bob, it's it's been unprecedented. It's it's been significant, um, and I believe that it's a story that continues to unfold. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's a daily struggle. They've had periods of relief uh, in the past year, but here we are in the middle of another uh, really heavy uh, period uh, that is uh, having great effect on all of the the healthcare facilities, not only in Terre Haute, but in the surrounding counties, some of the small county hospitals I just saw today where the uh, National Guard is going in to help Greene County uh, at the hospital there navigate some of the problems they're having with with providing services for their community. So it's almost everywhere. I don't believe anyone is immune to it. It's been particularly hard on on, um, the, the workforces uh, that um, uh, that are involved in these, and it's almost anywhere you look, you can see see the short term effect, which uh, will probably turn into um, a long term effect on a lot of these facilities. Yeah, we have you know Max is talking about Terre Haute. We have people who are representing different communities of the state, but a lot of these issues really 
do cross over. If uh, you, our listeners, have any questions or any comments for Joe Bond from the Herald Times, Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star, or Tim Evans from the Indianapolis Star, for Sarah Whitmire from WFIU, WTIU, or for myself, Bob Zaltzberg, please give us a call. Uh, not Don't give us a call. We aren't taking calls, but you can send them to news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Tim Evans, Indianapolis, and you mentioned that Indianapolis had a really terrible year when it comes to homicide rate. What uh, what has government done about it? What what kinds of things have been done to try to lessen the gun violence in the community? And what what do you see ahead in twenty twenty two? It's an uphill challenge, and I think we've set a new homicide record almost every year since two thousand twelve. And again, this year it was up over 250, I believe. I don't have the final number in front of me. Um, and, you know, they've, they've tried a lot of the, the expected things, um, trying to add more police officers, although that's a struggle uh, with retirement and, and, and people leaving the force. Um, they've tried some neighborhood community policing efforts. Uh, they've tried uh, some, um, the, the 10 point coalition takes what they call OGs or, uh, older uh, people who had spent time on the streets and into some of the communities that are most troubled by this to try to show young people a way out. Um, I, and uh, I know that they're, they're investing a lot of money in um, job opportunities, alternatives, uh, alternative programs that, that give young people in these uh, neighborhoods an option other than uh, living on the streets, uh, selling drugs and, uh, you know, selling their disputes with, with guns. And, um, again, we're not alone in the problem, uh, certainly for, for an urban area. Um, and it's a hugely complicated issue that, that's, you know, goes back generations. So I'm not sure how, you know, they continue to try. Um, there's some, some, um, infighting between Democrats and Republicans, uh, uh, Republicans in the state house who represent Indianapolis have some ideas that they're trying to push through the legislature, uh, the Democrat mayor, um, Joe Hogshead, has some ideas. Um, but I, we, we've had an uphill battle. I don't see any quick or easy change or the um, the, the tide turning dra- drastically anytime soon. Um, it's going to take a long-term commitment to, to address the societal issues that are um, you know, feeding this uh, gunfire and, and just people settling the smallest squabbles on the streets with a gun instead of talking or, or you know, walking away, um, people are being shot over almost nothing. Uh, Tim sort of staying in, in that vein, talking about criminal justice. Can you talk a little bit about some of the reporting y'all have done about jails? And I know um, just a lot of coverage of COVID in jails and conditions in jails. If you can expand on that. Yeah, um, actually, I got, I got intrigued about people dying in jail back in 2017. And I started pulling together some information. You know, I found out there was nobody was really tracking closely or accurately how people were dying in jail and why. And as I worked around other projects uh, since 2017, I pulled together string for a a bigger project that we really jumped into in 2021 with uh, Ryan Martin's help. And, um, you know, we, we, we tried to figure out why so many people are dying. They're dying at a rate higher in Indiana than in other States. And, um, you know, our jails have become de facto dumping grounds for people with mental illness and addiction. And um, they, they may commit crimes, but those crimes are often, um, for addiction, it's often a theft or a possession charge. Um, and it's just sticking them in a county jail where they have no drug treatment and little, um, if any, mental health care or uh, other services. It just perpetuates a, a, a revolving door cycle. And then... Um, in the mid-teens, when the state tried to reform its criminal justice approach, they dumped thousands of uh, low-level felons who had been at the Department of Correction in the county jails. And again, uh, a lot of these people had drug or mental health issues, and there, there's just no service. So they're basically being warehoused until they're released, and then they're back out on the street. Um, you know, we, we don't have enough psychiatric beds in the state to deal with um, people who need mental health treatment. And the beds we have are often in the more urban areas. So in the rural counties, there's very little opportunity. And 
you know, sheriffs are exacerbated. I mean, exasperated by it. Um, you know, their hands are tied. They didn't get into the business to, to be mental health or drug treatment uh, experts. They're, they're more on incarceration and enforcing the laws. Um, and I, I think part of the problem is the jail system is disjointed. You know, each county has its own little operation and um, may well may do the best they can, but there's no comprehensive oversight or, or big picture for how jails should fit into the criminal justice system. And so what you get is, um, you know, 92 different approaches, and many of those are, are not effective, and many of them are um, leading to problems that they're, they're deadly. And, you know, one of the reasons we looked at jails is because the vast majority of people in a county jail as opposed to prison have not been convicted of a crime. Uh, they're there while waiting trial, and most of them that are spending any uh, length of time there are there because they're too poor to pay bail. So there's, there's like, you know, the other issues, there are whole host of um, factors that go into this problem. And, um, you know, something that the uh, Republican uh, uh, House caucus has made a priority to address jail overcrowding this year. Um, They took some steps this last week uh, in in a committee that might address it to some degree, but it's an issue. I think that we're going to hear more about in the coming year. And, um, you know, it's, it's also one of those issues that's hidden away because it's happening behind locked doors. And it's also an issue that, you know, it's easy to say, so what? Um, uh, people in jail are not not a uh, necessarily a, a valued constituency uh, to lawmakers and um, people in power. So um, they're 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 getting the short end of the stick, and it's again, it's turning deadly in too many cases. I want to follow up on that with uh, both Jill and Max because you know, as you said, ninety two different approaches to this. Uh, <clears throat> Joe Bond in, in Monroe County, you mentioned already the the idea of uh, police pay being a big issue, and then the other the other part in Monroe County, I know, is the whole homelessness issue and and how the police department is structured. So, can you talk about those issues as they relate to Bloomington? Sure, absolutely. So, we looked at the issue of police pay. Um, this year. And, you know, right now at last check, the city of Bloomington had just 88 sworn officers. It's currently budgeted to have 105. When we did our uh, look at what was really going on with the issue of the police department not being able to get fully staffed, uh, we learned that part of the problem is, you know, the hiring process um, here in Bloomington, and it's probably similar in other areas. Um, For one thing, a lot of those people who apply for the jobs don't follow through and they don't show up for that first day. Um, They then have, if they do, then there's physical and written tests, there's panel interviews, background checks, truthfulness tests, then there's a board of public safety approval, and then a psychological and medical exam, and then approval by the pension board. So it takes at least six months for the city of Bloomington to hire a new police officer. Um, and just like Tim mentioned, you know, uh, the policing is an issue where, and we found this to be true in, in lots of communities that we contacted, um, they're having a hard time hanging on to officers there. Some of them are retiring and, and others are leaving the force altogether. Um, you know, listening to Tim talk about the jail issue reminds me that, you know, Owen County has um uh, a jail that is in in terrible shape, and so I'm certain that we're going to come back and revisit kind of what's going on in that community, especially in light of the fact that um, they were essentially broke earlier this year. And you know, Monroe County is also grappling with issues related to its jail and what um, it's going to do in uh, to to deal with that facility about homelessness and you know we've got some really great organizations here in Bloomington that are banding together to try to find reasonable solutions um, the United Ways um, homeward was a homeward bound um, I don't remember what they call their plan but they do have a plan and so we look forward to seeing how um, how that plays out because they have gotten buy-in from uh, a lot of different areas and um, we're hopeful that they can achieve their goal of making homelessness in Bloomington um, rare uh, and non-repeating. 
Max, how serious are these issues in uh, Terre Haute? Well, I think across the board, they they exist here uh, as they do in other places. What's happening here on that front right now is there is a uh, there's a new Vigo County Jail under construction, uh, which will be going online here before too terribly long. And um, um, Vigo County has had a chronic problem over the last few decades uh, with never having a jail that was large enough to handle its inmate population and finding itself constantly under under legal pressure from lawsuits and, and from judges uh, telling it that it that it had to do better. Uh, so this is the final answer they're hoping. Uh, there's still a controversial uh, facility because of the cost that uh, uh, that it's requiring of the taxpayers of Vigo County and whether or not it's uh, uh, really needs to be as large as, as it is. But I think there was a frustration on the part of um, the leadership in, in the county, uh, the constantly under this, constantly being under this pressure to fix its jail problems that uh, they're hoping this finally takes care of that, uh, that issue in the long term. Uh, you know, that's certainly not going to address the bigger picture of, of uh, the inmate population and the, and, and the types of uh, things that are going on in the jail in terms of the services they're required to provide. But this is sort of an answer to uh, what has been a chronic problem here uh, in dealing with uh, uh, with the judicial system. So I know last year we spent a ton of energy max covering the executions in Terre Haute. And <clears throat> can you talk about this year and how closely is your team watching what the Biden administration does about federal executions? Well, how interesting it was that we had this uh, big flurry of executions at the end of the Trump administration term. Uh, and since the, the new administration has take o- taken over, everything is frozen in place. And right now there are no scheduled executions. And I really don't expect that there will be uh, uh, for the remainder um, of this term. So it's been, it's been somewhat of a relief for us uh, and in th- this community in general. Uh, I think that whole that that orgy of execution that happened in the last six months of of uh, of 2020 was um, was distasteful and and pretty hard on the community. And I think for the most part, people are glad that was over. Right. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking with news editors from around our uh, this part of the state, Tim Evans from Indianapolis, Joe Bond from the Herald Times of Bloomington, and Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Sarah Whitmire from WFIU, WTIU is here. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. If you have questions for us or comments, news at indianapublicmedia.org, or you can send, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send us comments there. We talked about the divisive nature of uh of government and just society now and i, and I want to ask you know i'm a i'm a journalist i love doing a show with with all journalists i want to talk about the the difficulties if there are any if there are enhanced difficulties of just doing your job in a day and age where um there's so much distrust of the media media and uh, max let's start with you well sure um I think it comes and goes, um, but there is uh, certainly much more of uh, an undertone of um, uh, of tension uh, whenever we are uh, covering especially topics that that kind of uh, take on the broad nature of the the, uh, uh, the incivility and and the uh, uh, various conversations that have had to take place, whether it's over race or whether it's over the judicial system, uh, whether it's over our political system. Uh, Vigo County had long been uh, viewed as as a democratic stronghold in Indiana for decades and decades. And uh, what we've seen here in the last decade is that has been almost completely transformed. Uh, There are very few democratic elected officials right now. And this year being a midterm election, we, we expect to see some others uh, uh, fall away. Uh, it has turned uh, turned into a almost 
exclusively Republican county. And um, it looks like it's probably going to stay that way for a while. Uh, so uh, so we're we're encountering all of that almost on every every topic we uh, we turn to. Tim Evans, you you always tackle difficult subjects anyway. So have you seen a difference in in that and, and the rest of the staff at the star as well? I don't get many uh, Christmas cards from uh, people I write about, unfortunately. It's, but, uh, um, you know, I, obviously, the, there's a huge change, and um, you know, and it's, and it's been co- compounded by the, the pandemic of you know working remotely and not being able to sit down face to face with people as much as you, you would like to. Um, but you know, again, I think it, it's grown, and get in my soapbox for just a moment. You know, since I've been around a long time, I think newspapers and, and radio and TV real journalists uh, with a capital J, as I refer to it, um, probably didn't do a good enough job uh, distinguishing ourselves from the other noise uh, as talk radio and cable news came on the air. And so now there's this one kind of big lump that's media. And a lot of times the public, I don't think, uh, takes the time or is savvy uh, puts in the effort to sort out what it, what is um, real journalism that tries just to be fair and accurate and uh, independent and what is uh, you know a, a political uh, rhetoric. So we're, we're we're stuck in that mold, and I don't see a quick way out of that either. Um, you know, I think that's uh, something we're going to live with, and you know, I certainly hear and get more response on social media, which is probably the lowest common denominator. So I shouldn't pay that much attention to it, but um, you know, I've always got somebody angry from one side or the other, depending on what I'm writing about. Um, And, you know, the the, the quick and easy default is fake news or, you know, liberal media or whatever. And um, I'm long way from either one of those, I think, but you know, that's, that's what we're up against. And I think it's a real challenge and, um, you know, as our industry is going through a lot of struggles, uh, that's one we don't need. And again, I think, um, you know, I, I don't see a quick fix for that. And it's something we're going to have to just continue to deal with. And I guess the best way to do it is just plug ahead and do the best work we can uh, and maintain a high level of integrity and hope that comes through. Jill, I want, want to give you an opportunity to talk about this too. I know that you know, the, the HT obviously has been through lots of changes and, you know, you have, there are a lot of layers of things that you've had to be dealing with there. Um, you know, how do you sort of keep your head about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree with Tim. You just got to focus on the work and, you know, remember why you're there, why you're in this profession, because there are a lot of, uh, a lot of negative aspects to being a journalist But, you know, I'll tell you, one of my least favorite things is, you know, managing the social media um, because you do, like Tim said, sometimes encounter the lowest common denominator there. And um, we also need it. You know, it is um, a a very important part of us getting our information out to people and to reaching new audiences. So um, it's one of those things that we're just going to have to keep managing and hopeful hopefully you know we can as a community as a society get past this kind of divisiveness um, at some point in the next few years and move back toward uh, more civility sarah Jill, I want to ask you about this training exercise that the Bloomington Fire Department conducted at the beginning of November. Um, as we we both reported, there was lead that was sent up into the air after that. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you think sort of has been the lesson learned from all of that and what's next in it? Um, you know, I think it was a really unfortunate thing that the city was caught off guard, um, having done everything that was required of it prior to um, that training exercise. And, you know, the city has also said it's not going to do that again. But what really remains to be seen in my mind is whether any of the people that stepped forward during that who said they wanted the legislature to take action if they're actually going to be able to to get anybody to pay attention 
um, because maybe there won't be tremendous long-lasting impacts. We hope not, but that's one of those things that you can't know right off the, you know, right away. Um, Certainly it was uh, something that uh, probably, I I think the city has made clear that it it wished it hadn't done. And again, it, it definitely won't do again. Well, I got Jill. Uh, I do want to mention one other story that I got a couple broader things I want to want to turn to about 2022 and and just a couple of other topics. But but Jill, one of the other big stories in Bloomington this year was Michael McRobbie's retirement and Pam Witten taking over as president of the university. Um, I know you your staff covered that as well. Any uh, insights into what we what we can expect and how things might change with the university after that transition? Um, well, we talked to Witten a little bit about um, you know the difference between what she was planning to do and how McRobbie um, you know focused on kind of expansion and building. And uh, Witten said that she was going to turn her attention to students. Um, I don't know that she's really been in the position long enough for us to guess at what she's going to do next. And, uh, that's something we'll just all have to keep watching, I think. Okay. So for a couple broader topics, I, I want to make sure we touch on one is, uh, let's broaden out to the state a little bit in the state legislature, um, and what we might be looking at, Matt, I know Max Jones and Tim Evans in particular have, have uh, you know, veterans have watched legislatures in Indiana do various things. How, how do you perceive this upcoming legislative session? Max, let's start with you. Well, it's kind of hard to get a handle on, uh, on where this current legislature is going. Of course, this is a short session. Um, Sometimes they start with a flurry and a lot of noise, but it doesn't end up uh, with as much action as uh, what seems to be promised at the start. But certainly this uh, this uh, very strong conservative uh, bent to the legislature and some of the culture uh, issues that they are going after uh, having to do with education, uh, uh, gun rights, um, you know, some of these other areas of public health issue. They're, um, you know, they're they're a bit confounding, I think, uh, to any number of people, and they and they seem to feed the uh, concern and the divisiveness of of the electorate right now, rather than do anything in particular to to calm it. So, um, you know, the next couple of months will will probably tell us uh, how far some of these uh, more strident voices um, uh, go. Uh, but but it but it will be it, it could be it could be more than just a normal year, depending on the kind of momentum some of these issues generate. Tim, just as an outside observer, what do you expect? Yeah, I think this is a, a kind of a culture war session. Um, and we're seeing it with the uh, um, CRT uh, uh, debate they had earlier this week where uh, legislature is now walking back that we need to fairly consider Nazis and um, things like that. Uh, we, we've also got, um, um, you know, and, and quite a few bills on the other side relating to uh, marijuana legalization or decriminalization. I don't think those will go anywhere. Um, we're not going to join Michigan or Illinois uh, or Ohio in decriminalizing or anything like that. But I think we may see a little movement toward that process, but I, again, I don't think we'll get there even for medical marijuana. Um you know, I, th- I think, um, again, it, it, it's um, h- highly politicized, uh, as um, Max was saying, and not as much. Uh, There's some really serious problems in Indiana. You know, you can look down a list of, uh, of subjects or issues, and Indiana f- is, is often at, at or near the bottom of the performance of states. And we're seeing very little addressing those things like healthcare and health and, um, you know, finances are, are, are earning ability. Uh, it seems very, very much more hot button political issues. I suspect part of that's driven by the midterm elections coming up, uh, which again, I don't see much 
change in the makeup of Indiana's um, congressional delegation, but there's a good chance, I think, that, you know, control of the, the House of Representatives will switch and that, you know, throws a lot of things on their ears. So that'll be an interesting process. The one thing I guess I could, could predict with some certainty is that we'll all be sick of negative campaign ads before November. That seems like a reasonable assumption. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit, Tim, about some of the tax changes you might expect coming out of this year's legislative session? I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm I've not been following that close enough to to be very uh, very good on it. And, and it's one of the curses and advantages of what I do. Um, you know, I've had my head stuck in jail issues for the last <laughs> nine months, um, and come up occasionally, but. I don't, I don't follow things as broadly as I once did as more as general, general assignment. Oh, sure. Um, do either of our other editors, Max, do you want to talk a little bit about that or how do you feel? Tax issues are complicated. Yeah, they really are. I think, I, uh, I think the only way I could characterize what I'm seeing right now is this, um, is this, uh, uh, philosophy of, uh, some in the legislature versus the philosophy of the governor. Uh, the governor seems to uh, take uh, a far more moderate approach to uh, working with the tax system. I think his, he always um, is a supporter and a proponent of tax changes that benefit uh, businesses and business development. Uh, and um, there are those in the legislature that are, that are wanting to turn their attention more to refunding some of the the money uh, from this uh, gigantic surplus that the state carries uh, directly to um, to to the to the people of Indiana, which I'm sure has nothing to do with the fact that there's an election this year. Um, so that that's kind of the way I, I I see the tax debate unfolding this year. Yeah. Um, since you brought up the election, you know, the governor is term limited. So we're going to have some we're going to have some state elections. We're going to have some local elections. Um, can you talk particularly about the governor's race, Max, and how do you think that's going to shake out? Is there anybody who you kind of have your eye on who you expect will be throwing their hat in? Well, I think that the thing that we all mostly have our eye on is Todd Rokita as the attorney general. Uh, it's pretty clear he's up to something. Uh, he's, uh, he's always been pretty transparent about things. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think he hides his intention intentions uh, about anything he does. So uh, I think we're probably going to see him um, uh, continually and more forcefully pushing himself into the uh, discussion about uh, who the next governor will be. Of course, there's a lot of things that could happen. Uh, I mean, there are still some some big names that could give him uh, a lot of trouble uh, when, it, when it comes to that, uh, that issue, you know, whether Mike Braun decides to do something different uh, and come back and, and throw his uh, throw himself into the uh, uh, to the governor's contest. I mean, he's already beaten Rokita once, uh, um, so I'm, I'm sure that's not what uh, Todd Rokita wants to see. Uh, but those would be the two people I would keep our eye on. Uh, you know, they're also I'm sure are those within more of the Holcomb camp. Uh, people such as Kyle Hupfer, the, the state Republican chair, uh, who, who may be itching to get involved in elective politics rather than organizational politics. Uh, and even someone like him, uh, even though he's not as well known, doesn't have the name recognition as Todd Rokita, he also doesn't have any negative name recognition, which uh, Rokita has his, his baggage as well as he has his supporters. So those would be the three, the three uh, people I would keep an eye on. Uh, closely going forward. I know, Tim, someone who, you know, we've all covered a lot is the former Attorney General Curtis Hill. And some folks in our newsroom talked to him not that long ago. And he hinted at, well, he said he wanted to get back into public office at at some point. Do you envision this election as a chance for Curtis Hill to get involved again? Or would there be an appetite for that, I suppose? Well, I would I would think not. I think he's probably far more damaged than what he realizes uh, in this state. But uh, you know, I've I've been wrong many times before. Uh, I, I would not think that uh, uh, he would rise to the top of that list. 
want to talk about just how government has been operating. I mean, in the state, we've, we've had a situation where um, the legislature or parts of the legislature, at least, and the governor seem to be at odds. And of course, Todd Rakita and the governor seem to be at odds. So it's a super majority of Republicans throughout the state. And then uh, I guess I'd like to hear Tim and Max's positions on that. And Jill, if you want to weigh in, but, but Jill, more specifically in Bloomington, which is a totally democratic group of uh, lawmakers and, you know, city, city council members, the mayor, um, there's not a lot of lockstep among the people who are on the city council either. There's a division between the mayor and the city council. So let's, let's talk about the state first and then let's break it down to, to Bloomington. Tim. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously there's super majority in, in, in the legislature, the, in, in, in the state house offices. Um, I don't think that's good for, uh, in, Indiana residents, uh, regardless of whether that's Republicans in the super majority or Democrats, um, and again, I think we're in, in this weird political time where it, it's um, much more about culture and um, political scoring political points, uh, making your opponent look bad than it is about statesmanship. I guess I'm old enough to remember uh, Lee Hamilton and some of those folks who um, uh, Richard Luger, who uh, may disagree with someone, but but worked for the betterment of, of all. And I don't see that happening at the national level or the Indiana level line. Again, that's one of those genies that's out of the bottle. I'm not sure how you get it back in. So, um, yeah, can you recall a, a division between the, you know, the governor of the and and the people in the legislature of the same party before? No, no not not to this degree at, at all. And you know, that shows up in the, in the lawsuit that's pending now, where um, the governor's challenging um, the legislature's uh, action last year to limit his uh, ability to um, declare an emergency. Um, and his um, kind of lukewarm uh, response to Todd Rokita in the last week or so, uh, you know, those kind of things were usually have been behind closed doors and wouldn't have been out in public. Um, so it, it's an interesting dynamic. And I guess, you know, it, it shows that there is still some split among Republicans, um, the, the, the uh, kind of culture warriors, the far right, the, the, the Trump supporters, and maybe people are a little more moderate. Um, um, that are more business tax oriented and not uh, as much uh, social issues. Yeah, and Jill, Bloomington is certainly a more democratic and a more liberal community, but we saw our own divisions this year, particularly with the Plexus issue. That one didn't go uh, along. Uh, you know, there was no unanimity on that at all. Yeah, we haven't seen the uh, city council and the Hamilton administration being in lockstep at all. Um, and even within the city council, there have been some very healthy debates about um, the issues that are before them. And, you know, nobody's up for uh, election this year. So we expect that they'll continue to have those debates. And that's good for it's good for the community, especially when you do have um, everybody from the same party, at least the, if they're not, dis- they're not agreeing on absolutely everything, then, um, I think there's more representation. We have just three to four minutes to go. I want to get, uh, get to 2022 and what you're looking forward to in the next year in terms of news and what are some of the key issues that you think we'll be talking about this time next year, Max? Yes, I, I think uh, one of the things uh, that will be all-encompassing for us as the year goes on is how our local governments uh, decide to use uh, the influx of federal funds that they're seeing from the Rescue Act and from the CARES Act and also from the Infrastructure Act going forward. This is an unprecedented amount of funding that will be coming to these communities, and it's putting a lot of pressure on uh, local elected officials that they have not felt in a while because they've not had the uh, benefit of the riches that that is uh, is falling to them. Uh, so I think there will be some very robust and interesting, uh, hopefully productive debates about how to use this money. And I think that's going to be a, a big story this year. Tim, you want to uh, give us a preview of your next investigation? Oh, well, I, I'm not going to give tip my hand on that, but I will <laughs> okay. say, uh, you know, 
I think we're already all all tired of it and want it to go away. But the pandemic, we'll be talking about that next year and everything that's spilled out of that. And hopefully we'll be on the backside of it. Um, but I think we got, a lot of us thought that back in the summer. So that's one of the things. Um, you know, there, there's some interesting legal cases that are coming up both at the state level um, and uh, the Supreme Court potential on, on Roe versus Wade that could be a game changer and signal, um, you know, uh, uh, either a retreat or an advance in the, the cultural uh, issues. And one kind of a self-serving plug is um, there's there's one thing I can guarantee and predict and guarantee, and that's that, you know, Hoosiers will continue to be blessed by hardworking, impartial journalists, you know, in newsrooms and on radio and in TV stations uh, with some of the nonprofit organizations like Chalkbeat. And they're going to continue fighting and digging for Hoosiers for what's right and exposing uh, what's wrong. And um, I may be wrong on everything else, but I'm sure I'm right on that one. All right. And Joe Bond, we've got about a minute to go. So what do you see coming up in 2022 and what will we be talking about? I think housing and development in Bloomington will continue to be quite relevant. There doesn't seem to be any cooling off that's happening in our housing market. And we also know about plenty of developments that are planned or in progress. So we'll be keeping an eye on those. We also anticipate that the schools will continue to be of interest, um, especially in light of what the legislature has been um, discussing or presenting as uh, what it wants to discuss. Um, but also we think the local districts have um, some activities planned that will be uh, pretty interesting to our community as well. All right. That was Joe Bond from the Herald Times, Max Jones from the Terre Haute Tribune Star, and Tim Evans from the Indianapolis Star. Sarah Whitmire and I from WFIU have been on the program today and we'll be covering things in the WFIU, WTIU newsroom as well during 2022. I want to thank our producers, Holden Absher and Benta Boutier, our engineer, Mark Chilla, today. For everybody here at WFIU, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or integrityfirstinsuranceservices.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.